It's been a busy week, Fran. I've been taking a look at the progress of the federal ICAC, or what they call now the the NAC, NACC, the NAC, yeah. National uh, Anti-Corruption yeah. Commission, the progress of the uh, uh, Joint Select Committee Parliamentary Inquiry into uh, that it was referred off uh, to that uh, committee, which is chaired by Helen Haynes. Mm. Um, it's uh, had s- some public hearings on the 19th, 20th and 21st of October, but I was checking online today and it's received so far, it, as well as the public hearings, it's received 133 written submissions and uh, they're from a range of, of uh, interesting groups, a lot of union groups, the CFMEU, the United Firefighters Union, the ACTU, Stephen Main of Crikey Really? Fame. Yeah, good. Uh, the AFP, Australian Federal Police Association, Get Up, um, an interesting one from the Australians for a Murdoch Royal Commission. Really? Which I had a read of that. It seemed yeah. to be more of a rave of Rupert Murdoch rather than something that might support. Uh, Is that the thing that Kevin Rudd's trying to get might, going? It might yeah, be, yes. yeah, yeah, um, And also uh, Transparent, the ABC, Transparency International, mm-hmm. and I'll be referring to their submissions about one aspect shortly. The Centre for Public Integrity, there have been various state. Um, uh, councils for Civil Liberties, lawyers groups, various academics, and including an individual who I discovered, a person by the name of Lady Nola Preston. And I thought, well, who's she? She, she uh, submits that public hearings are important for, for uh, transparency reasons, and also she's strong on the whistleblower protection r- required. And uh, I thought it was quite interesting... It's only a short uh, letter, mm. and I wondered who, who the heck she was. Mm-hmm. And I've discovered that she's the Senior Vice President of the Wildlife Foundation. She's editor of the Canberra Ornithologist Group. She's a licensed registered bird bander with the National Parks of New South Wales, and she's been involved in trapping, weighing and identifying banded birds. But uh, as well as having a sharp eye out for bird life, she's got a sharp eye out for some of the key issues uh, that are being addressed by this, or being asked, the parliamentary committee is being asked to address. Um, The uh, the main, there's a big theme in the public submissions on uh, for public hearings and for stronger whistleblower protection. Uh, So I thought we might just want to. focus on what a couple of the groups uh, have submitted about both of those issues and then look at two current whistleblower uh, cases that are before, or prosecutions that are before the courts at the moment because they really starkly illustrate the human and uh, 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 tragedy of uh, prosecuting whistleblowers and the prosecution of whistleblowers and it clearly shows that the existing laws, including the so-called protection for whistleblowers in the National Anti-Corruption Commission bill uh, are just totally inadequate. Mm. And uh, I mean, there's going to be some need for reform. So just um, to catch up a bit, the inquiry came out of what? The, uh, it was, the bill was tabled in the, the Senate about the... Oh, sorry, in the House of Reps by the Attorney-General about the 23rd or 24th of September. Right. Uh, and it was read. The, it was read 
this had a second reading speech, and from there the House referred it off to a joint parliamentary uh, committee. Uh huh. And so, and that, so the inquiry is an inquiry into. In, into well, it's it's receiving submissions on what it, what perhaps are the strengths or weaknesses of the of the of right. the bill, what needs to be reformed. Right. Interestingly, some of the groups who have found flaws in in some of the clauses of the bill have also uh, quite positively suggested amendments to yes. those clauses so that it could uh, address some of the issues that they've they've noted. Oh, that's good. That's good. The with the public hearings, mm. uh, listeners might remember that the uh, the hearings are to be held in private unless the commissioner is satisfied that exceptional circumstances justify the holding uh, of the hearing in public and it's in the public interest to do so. Mm. Now, um, that was a bit of a surprise because mm. Labor, Labor yeah. never indicated that that, uh, that would be the case uh, before they were introducing the bills. And, and when they supported the Haynes Bill, there were two other bills, one in 2016 uh, or 2018 by the Greens and, and Helen Haynes' bill in 2021. And uh, none of those bills uh, had uh, um, uh, uh, private hearings and uh, Labor supported those bills. Mm. Uh, and now they've turned around and, and uh, they've introduced this thing. There's some suspicion among nice. some people that it's really to placate uh, the opposition in the Liberal Party to... Well, why would they need to do that? I think both sides of politics might be a bit worried of, yes. of the scandals that might break yes. Uh, yes. if uh, there's too much in, by way of public hearings. But interestingly, um, the Centre for Public Integrity... Uh, said that the uh, exceptional circumstances requirements are serious back down on Labor's much uh, publicised set of design features. Um, and it, it involves this circularity of, of the Commission carefully considering a range of factors, in, including whether the hearing might unfairly damage a person's reputation and then determine that it's in the public interest to hold a public hearing, but then it's met by this further hurdle of exceptional circumstances. Mm. Now, none of the... Apart from Victoria, none of the state or territory ICAC legislation has an exceptional circumstances provision really? in it. It's, it's only in Victoria. And I think uh, you might recall a couple of weeks ago we noted that in Victoria, over a period of six years, because of this exceptional circumstances provision... Um, it's so hard to find exceptional circumstances that it was either seven, there'd been seven or eight public hearings of the Victorian ICAC over an eight-year period, mm. which is uh, uh, terrible. And, and it, it said the problem was the court was asked, the Court of Appeal in Victoria was asked to define what exceptional circumstances were and that this yes. was the problem. It's yes. just so vague. Yes. And they said it's clearly unusual and distinctly out of the ordinary and... Uh, in those circumstances, it might be uh, reasonably rare. Well, it, you know, even that's hard to determine what the court meant by that. And and so it's it's giving them a lot of leeway. What what the what the public uh, integrity centre went on to say that that um, if the commission decides to hold a public hearing, it can be subject to legal challenge. Really. And those challenges would be exploited, they say, by the well-resourced litigants yes. that would both delay the Commission investigations and enable those 
people to obtain knowledge of the, the material that the Commission has against them, and then it, that then might allow them to, to try and seek to interfere with the evidence. Uh, one of the other issues that the uh, Centre for Public Integrity raised was with these delays, of course, it puts enormous strain on the people who've bought the info on witnesses yes. while things are, are delayed, and, uh, and that's very un- unfair. Mm. The uh, Transparency International Australia also criticised the um, private hearings uh, or the exceptional circumstances. They said it's not an accurate or useful threshold mm. and it poses dangers for the effective operation of the, of the, of the, of the commission. Mm. It, it, it recommends that it move towards a best practice form of, of, the, of what the public interest test would be that would satisfy the justification of taking the evidence in public by, they say, that if you strengthen through the requirement, through greater clarity, that the evidence has to be given in private if a public hearing might prejudice a person's safety or actual planned or likely criminal proceedings, then that would be a, a, a better safeguard and allow things to be... allow mm. more public hearings. I, I found... I've lost the article, but there was a comment made uh, this week by John Hatsitsagos, a former uh, Labor Attorney-General in, in New South Wales, who uh, was appointed... Uh, as a a district court judge by the Liberal government um, uh, about 10 years ago. And he's now, I didn't realise, he's now the state ICAC commissioner. Oh, yeah. I had no no idea. And he's come out publicly to uh, criticise the exceptional circumstances requirement and he's gone through and and basically outlined what actually happens in New South Wales and when when inquiries do commence, they don't commence in pub. Normally, they don't always commence in public. The decision to to take make them go public is after fairly intensive investigations by the by the commission and the fi- and making particular findings, and then deciding it's in the public interest for those findings to. What what does um, Helen Haynes think about this? Um, she hasn't commented yet because mm. she's the chair of the yeah, no, but... of the. Uh, of the committee, but there was public hearings under her proposed bill. Wasn't yes, it? yeah, yeah. So, there was there was no exceptional circumstances no. requirement. Mm. There were public hearings with those protections yeah. to uh, decide uh, at what stage they should be made public. It's in yes. the discretion of the commissioner, right. and and it, and the protections are to uh, protect people's reputations and uh, and their safety. Mm. I had an article by Professor, I just can't, I've misplaced it in the rush to get up here, by Professor Anne, Anne Toomey. Oh, yeah. Um, she she uh, wrote a, a paper on why the, um, the exceptional circumstances shouldn't be allowed and in favour of the public hearings. Um, and she makes some important points in that... Um, the reason we have an open court principle is that justice must be seen to be done and for there to be a trust in fairness of the of the system. So there's a trust in system that the, the public can see um, what's being looked at, uh, if the rules of evidence are properly applied. I mean, every day people are, are charged with offences, they're taken before a court 
it's all in public. It's not in. It's not in private. Yeah, that's right. Um, and at the end of the of the day, uh, people are found guilty or often found mm-hmm. not guilty. But uh, she said, in matters of, of politically sensitive allegations of corruption, it's important that they're not hidden behind closed doors mm. because it raises a suspicion or possibly a suspicion in the mind of the public that there's a cover-up. Oh, yes. Yes, absolutely. Um, also, when the Commission makes a finding, um, it, it, uh, can offer, it, can, it can vindicate the person who the allegation has been made made against yes i guess i mean there is the the argument that mud sticks you know regardless of whether it's been sort of the person's been vindicated or not but look you know i mean this is the argument that we get for uh as a sort of counter to people who are worried about too much surveillance or cgc cameras in public spaces well if you've got nothing to hide don't worry about it so similarly you know this is uh if they've got nothing to hide they shouldn't worry about it of course, that's a good, very good point, yeah, uh, yeah. Fran. I remember yeah. a wonderful piece of graffiti I saw when I was in the UK several years ago mm. on a wall that said "One Nation Under CCTV." Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. A couple of the other points that Ben Toomey <laughs> makes, which are really important ones, are in in relation to the secrecy provisions as they are drafted. Um, what happens is when the Commission makes a finding they have to advise the relevant minister or the prime minister of what the finding is Mm -hmm. but there's no requirement to make that finding public yeah so it's up to the minister and there's no requirement to even tell the person that the allegations were made against what the finding is really there's no requirement to tell whistleblowers or people who've made a complaint what the finding is uh the um Report only has to be published if part of the hearing is in public and it gets over that exceptional circumstances threshold. Then it must. Then the report, the finding of the commission, has to be published. Mm. Uh, and and of course, but it's first of all it's sent to the prime minister, and the prime minister must table it in parliament mm. during sitting time. And ah. Of course, the other problem is if parliament's not sitting, there's no yes. requirement to table the report. So there's yes. she's she's noticed a number of of flaws in that regard. The other point she makes, I think, are good ones. She said that what happens is, um, she said, corruption flourishes when good people believe that it's simply the way things are done or the price of doing business. So she said that by identifying and making public what the Commission mm-hmm. considers to be public, that sets the standards. Very good point. And everyone knows... Uh, that uh, what things are acceptable are, or not acceptable. Mm. The other thing too is once once certain conduct is exposed, she says it goes on then to act as a deterrence. Yes, that's right. To uh, people who might want to engage in in similar uh, conduct. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. And Good an point. important thing mm. she said when uh, hearings are in public, she said sometimes what that does when people hear about what's being looked at. They suddenly say, "Well, I know something about that." So additional evidence can be flushed out mm. by a public hearing. Mm. Of course, there's always got to be that balance of the safeguard of the reputation of of uh, people or the safety of, of uh, witnesses who might want to give yes. evidence. Uh, yeah. So it it sounds to me like a lack the lack of transparency is one of the major issues. Then that yes, that 
with this inquiry and with the proposals that the transparency it won't be more transparent basically yeah that's that's for sure yeah yeah and you would have i would have thought under labor we would get more transparency well that that was the, that was the hope mm. I, I remember when i first read the bill and first read comments in the press and from different uh, organisations, I was really hopeful that mm. um, at last we've reached the point, after all these years of sports rorts and all mm. the other rorts and the, mm. the, the issue of billion-dollar contracts without uh, yes. without tender and so on, that we might be getting somewhere. But there do, there do seem to be some flaws, mm. and I don't know... I'm not cynical enough to say they're deliberately put in there. I think when you look at the bill, it's a big, it's a massive bill... The explanatory memorandums, a couple of hundred pages, mm. and so the the staff of the Attorney General's chambers who put the bill together uh, did a magnificent job, and 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 I would hope that perhaps some of the things that are being exposed in the inquiry are flaws that that were not thought of in the rush to get the bill before Parliament. Well, I'm going to look shortly at the case of of, of Richard Boyle, mm-hmm. uh, the, uh, an AT officer who blew the whistle on some problems in in the. The ATO, because uh, during a um, during a parliamentary inquiry into what happened to him, a, a Senate committee inquiry, the head of the ATO went before that inquiry and used the fact that there was parliamentary privilege to further attack the character of Richard Boyle. Ah. Oh when there'd been findings by a number of independent committees that what the tax office did was wrong, he went on to uh, take the opportunity to ass- assassinate his character. It, it, look, if they're prepared to go to that length, then it, 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 it doesn't show really that, they're of, uh, that they want to do things in good faith. No. Now, the, other, the other thing that Lady Nora Preston yes. raised... Bird bander. Uh, uh, the whistleblower protection. Oh yeah. And there's been uh, a lot of uh, press about uh, the lack of whistleblower protection in the Act. Yeah. In the second reading speech, the Attorney General actually says that he said that the legislation provides strong. I'm quoting from Hansard. Yeah. It provides strong protections for whistleblowers against adverse consequences including criminal offences and immunity, immunities. Well, in fact, when it doesn't, it really doesn't address those things. What he said, he's trying to link uh, this, this Act uh, with protections under what's known as the Public Interest Disclosure Act. Now, just look at the words of that, Public, public interest, interest Disclosure. Yeah. So what that Act actually does, it, it's, what it's supposed to do, it's to allow public servants, if there's a public interest in disclosing something, to disclose it without any without any penalty, providing certain proceedings uh, are um, followed. But the attorney acknowledged uh, when he was in Parliament uh, last September, that he said, "But I'll be the the um, he said they'll be also protected under the Public Interest Disclosure Act. But, but I'll be introducing separate reforms to the Public Interest Disclosure Act to improve whistleblower protections, with the aim of having these reforms in place." when the Commission commences in operation. But so far, the government have brought no legislation or tabled nothing that might might indicate what they're going to do in relation to amending this Public Interest Disclosure Act. And it turns out that the regime under it is is really um, 
not not a, not a good one. The uh, on the uh, uh, parliamentary website, I found uh, uh, an, a uh, an, a directive to public servants about what they can do on uh, if they think there's public interest disclosure, and and um, it said it w that aimed to. Uh, encourage and facilitate the disclosure of information by public officials about suspected wrongdoing in the public sector. That's what it says is the aim. Um, this is a document that's current as of the, the, the 4th of, of uh, November 2022. Oh, um, okay. And it talks about making uh, public interest disclosures and then it says what protections it gives to public servants if they make those public interest disclosures. And it said that they won't be subject to any criminal, civil or administrative liability for making a disclosure unless it's an identi uh, sorry, a designated uh, publication restricted um, and, uh, and it's done without reasonable excuse or knowing the disclosure is false or misleading. It says there'll be no contractual or other remedy enforced or sanctioned imposed on you on the basis of making the disclosure. Mm -hmm. um, uh, you won't have a contract to which you're a party terminated, so you won't lose your job yes. on, on the basis of the disclosure. And you'll have your identity uh, protected. Now, what there is, there's a provision in the Act that, that basically it, it says you make the disclosure, but you've got to follow certain protocol. First of all, you've got to take it to within your own department or section mm. or head. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, if you're not satisfied with what happened there, you can take it possibly to the, um, the, om the Ombudsman's office. And then there's provision further that if you're not happy with that and it's justified, that unhappy is justified, that you may be able to, in certain circumstances, go public. Right. Um, that's what... That's the theory. Uh, so if you took it to the Minister, it would be up to the Minister then to proceed with yeah. the complaint. Right, yeah. And... and uh, but the... I think there was an article uh, on, uh, I can't remember where it uh, came from, but what they said was that what fuels anti-corruption bodies investigating corruption is having as many whistleblowers as forward come forward. Um, and it quotes the Attorney-General Dreyfus telling the media in a, in a conference that th this legislation would provide strong protection for whistleblowers and is based on the National Anti-Corruption Bill, which will have its own whistleblower protections as is appropriate for public Australian public servants and people working in the public sector who come forward with, alle with allegations that the Commission should look at. But um, Transparency International said uh, the government gave an election pledge that its package would be extremely similar to the Integrity Commission models previously introduced by the Greens, McGowan and her successor, Dr Helen Haynes. However, this is Transparency International. Mm -hmm. The bill differs substantially from Haynes' models by not including whistleblowing a whistleblowing commissioner, an independent commissioner. That's been that was identified by several past parliamentary inquiries. The need for a separate commissioner to protect whistleblowers, mm. um, and uh, uh, they said that that was central to the strengthened integrity uh, system. The they also went on to to say 
a, a spokesperson for uh, Clancy Moore, the CEO of Transparency, said, to be clear, our whistleblowing laws, laws need to be need a complete overhaul. We need a centralised authority, a one-stop shop to ensure whistleblowers are properly protected and listened to. For the uh, NACC, the New Integrity Commission, to be as effective as possible, it needs people to come forward and report the problems they see. Otherwise, searching for corruption can be like searching for a needle in a haystack. Mm. Tackling corruption can be like playing whack-a-mole. While the NACC is at the heart of integrity reform, it can't stop corruption alone. And we can prevent corruption and help the NACC detect corruption with better laws to empower whistleblowers and limit the influence of political donations and lobbying. Mm. So they're suggesting that they need uh, an independent whistleblower commission. Let's see what the Attorney-General comes up with. Mm. Um, But because it's quite clear that the current public interest disclosure uh, regime is not working. In in fact, Mm. only... It's been in since 2014. It's uh, the protections of the provisions of the Act, the defence, that it's not a criminal offence and whatever, is only being used once. Really? Yes. <laughs> only used once in, in, in several years, mm. and that once was just a couple of weeks ago. Right. Yeah, moving on with just <clears throat> more on the whistleblower, the importance of the whistleblower. There are two mm. cases currently before the courts that, that highlight why it is so important to uh, to reform this area of law. And, there's, and I introduced people to two uh, people, Richard Boyle and David McBride. Well, they each thought that doing the, they were doing the right thing. Boyle worked at the ATO and he grew concerned about un, unethical, aggressive behaviour uh, in, in debt recovery uh, practices pursued against small business owners. And uh, David McBride was an, an army officer and a lawyer in the Australian Army who, while serving in Afghanistan, was troubled by uh, wrongdoing by the Australian forces, so perhaps possible war crimes. And um, they followed the procedures uh, set out in the Public Interest Disclosure Act. Uh, they each tried to follow them. They, they blew the whistle internally first and then to oversight agencies when that didn't work, the internal... And at last, and only as a last resort, did both uh, McBride and Boyle go to publicly, both to, to the ABC. Um, now, both of those men have been vindicated in, by independent inquiries of verifying the wrongdoings that each one spoke up about. Um, and reform and changes have, have come about as a result, uh, thanks in part to their, their courage and Australia, I think, is a better place because they spoke up when they saw something wrong. Despite that, both Boyle and McBride are currently on trial for allegedly telling the truth, Mm. and each is currently facing uh, criminal prosecution and alleging that they broke the law in speaking up about government wrongdoing. And how did they break the law? Well, if they're convicted... um, But, but I mean, what's the allegation? Well, the allegation is that they used... uh, um, uh, informa- they've disclosed information uh, that they shouldn't have disclosed. But, I mean, why...? They've obtained information. They've, they've said they've, some of them have, t- have obtained it illegally. Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, Boyle allegedly recorded some, some conversations with other people at the ATO. 
um, and so on. When Boyle was first charged, he was facing 69 separate charges. Wow. But the point is that each of those men are are now facing a substantial period imprisonment Mm. if if they're convicted. So I'll just tell people about what happened with with Boyle. Boyle was working... Boyle was a senior tax officer down at the uh, ATO in Adelaide and he noticed serious flaws in the culture at the ATO debt recovery section during 2016. And he saw that that officers there were aggressively pursuing debts using what's known as a garnishee notice against small business operators. A garnishee is where you can get an order that a third party that owes money Mm. to the so-called debtor has to pay that money to the ATO. Mm. Now, normally, you only get a garnishee order after you've got a judgment through the court. But Mm -hmm. the ATO doesn't need to rely on a a court order. They can just automatically issue a garnishee. And they don't even have to give notice. They didn't even have to give notice Mm. to the people they were issuing garnishees against. And they were targeting a lot of uh, small business uh, owners. And uh, they could even say to the bank... When money's deposited in the bank, take it straight out and give it to tax. So the ATO has that power. Yeah, they have yeah, that amazing. power. Mm. And what uh, Boy, uh, Boyce, uh, uh, Boyle noticed was that some of the business owners uh, were, were so stressed that they expressed um, suicidal thoughts, yeah. um, that they uh, uh, said that they couldn't carry on. And... Uh, when he raised this with his superiors, he was so concerned about one particular person, he wanted to give uh, somebody in the office the role of monitoring and helping that person through the, the debt issue, and that that was refused by his uh, uh, superiors. And uh, one of his superiors even complained that he was sick to death of these uh, taxpayers who were threatening to take their own lives, sick to death. <laughs> so there was no sympathy... Uh, what whatsoever. Oh um, so uh, he used the Public Interest Disclosure Act process. He complained internally in October 2017 mm. by making the disclosure about the conduct. Mm. That was dismissed. Mm-hmm. And in November 2017, he took the matter to the Inspector General of Taxation. Mm-hmm. Now, the, one of the problems was that under the, the regime... He wasn't supposed to take anything to the Inspector General of Taxation without the permission of the Commissioner for Taxation. Right. So he needed the permission of the Commissioner of Taxation to take this complaint to... And who had already dismissed it? And he hadn't got that uh, permission. So right. that was one of the things he got into trouble. So what they did yeah. was... Uh, that was uh, in November he took that to the... Uh, but nothing was done further at the Inspector General of Taxation... And the ATO persecuted him uh, and they offered him a a settlement offer, leave your job, um, and uh, they alleged that he'd breached the public service code of conduct. I'm not sure what the exact Mm. breach was, Mm. but uh, they've uh, come up with something. So they offered him a payout and a statement of service, but they said there was no admission by them of any liability and it was on the proviso that he signed the old gag order. Oh, so right. it was never to be publicly disclosed. He was just to go away and yeah. and, uh, and and never come back. Yeah. Well, he refused to do that. Mm. So that what happened then uh, in the following April 2018, he went public uh, on Four Corners for the ABC um, and he spoke out, he said, because of the, the serious and detrimental implications that the conduct had 
for the taxpayers and the callous lack of concern for taxpayers' mm. welfare. Two weeks after Four Corners, the AFP knocked on his door and raided his home and seized all the documents. And in 2019, he was charged with 66 criminal offences, right. in, including having protective ATO info, mm. um, which he'd collected to support him in his uh, uh, public interest yes. disclosure application. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I'm just wondering how um, how how dependent is this behaviour on which government's in office? Um, I don't. I, I don't. You it, don't know. You know look, this, this is all. I, I don't know if this is is this is this the government or the minister or whether it's just the yeah. department. Yeah. I think there's. I, there's, I think yeah. there's a culture uh, in 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 all sides of government. To punish whistleblowers, and and that in all sides basically. Yeah. So it's kind of it's not party political. It's basically across the board. No. Yeah. And yeah. and interestingly enough, there were three independent inquiries, including one by the, the the Senate, that found firstly the ATO's initial review of Boyle's complaint was completely superficial, mm. and and also that the the debt recovery practices highlighted major problems, um, and found that the behaviour was crippling small businesses and uh, happening without proper oversight. Now, poor old um, uh, Richard Boyle uh, is uh, now before... He went before the court. His hearing started on the 4th of October. It's set down for, for uh, several weeks, but the hearing is only to find out whether the court will accept that he's got a proper defence under the Public Interest Disclosure Act. Did he follow the proper processes that would then allow him to go public? Right. Um, so it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a layered approach that the, mm. the judge will be, going, will be going through. And if he is successful, mm. then that's the end of the case. But if he's not? If, they, if he's not successful, then he'll go to trial on what's now... I think they've got left now 24 charges down from this, the original 66. So, so basically it, it, it's, it hinges on he missed, he missed one, one, one or two procedures, uh, but it sounds like he could not have done that. If it had to go to the commissioner before it got sent off to... That's the, the requirement. Of the, what yeah. was the requirement, apparently, of the legislation? Well, so how would he... N- Get it to the commissioner if he can't get it past the minister. Um, well, let's. We've all read Catch Twenty Two. Yes, exactly. It's Catch Twenty Two. Uh, exactly. So it it seems to me like the system is still kind of, sti- you know, stitched up to make it almost yeah. impossible. Yeah, he's been a tot- the poor man's been totally stitched up. Look, mm. he's married. He's he's had a ner- he's had a nervous breakdown. Mm. His marriage is broken down. Yeah. He's been public about the severe depression yes. that he's suffered. His legal costs are, 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 are massive, I bet. and um, uh, it, 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 it's come at a terrible, terrible cost. Be- to because him. normally, um, failure to fo- follow procedure is not necessarily a criminal offence, is it? It's it's something that's um, yeah. It's usually it, it it doesn't show intent or malice. There's no there's no intent to commit a crime. That no malice. No you know, it's just a sort of procedural thing. So you would think that that would be thrown out of court. Well, the, look, the, 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 the organisation in charge of the prosecution is the Commonwealth Director of Public Prosecutions. Mm. They say they've got a case. 
mm. and uh, and they're going to to prosecute it, and that's uh, uh, fairly bad. One of the other things that happened in uh, Boyle's case was that the attorney the, the attorney general's department um, tried to keep suppression orders or try to get the court to make suppression orders of Boyle's whistleblowing defence. They wanted to keep it secret. It's never been relied on before, but they wanted to keep it secret. Now, the judge in that case threw that out. When the Attorney-General directed the Director of Public Prosecutions to drop the prosecution against um, Bernard Collieri, that was the one of the first times an Attorney-General has intervened and, and directed a, a first, the first law officer to, to not proceed with the case. And, and uh, uh, Dreyfus at the time said uh, he, was, he was reluctant to do He did it, but he was reluctant because he didn't want it to be seen to be a, polit- a, a, a politician interfering in, in the judicial process. The other oh, whistleblower oh, uh, is, is David McBride, yeah. who's the former army officer. Now, uh, David McBride, I only discovered uh, today, he's the son of McBride, the Nobel Prize, the Nobel Prize winner, the, the doctor from South Australia who discovered thalidomide, was, oh. was the drug that was causing uh, deformities in children. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Um, but McBride joined the army. He, he was a lawyer and he joined the army... He served in Afghanistan for uh, two years in about 2013. He's also an officer in the British uh, SAS. And um, he blew the whistle. What he discovered when he was acting as a, as a legal advisor was that he, he discovered that what he thought were commission of war crimes or, or uh, offences against uh, civilians... And he blew the whistle by using an internal complaint channel again mm-hmm. about serious misconduct by the forces in Afghanistan. Um, then that was ignored. So he then went to uh, the Inspector General for, I think, uh, Defence and also the Minister for Defence and tried to raise the issues there. Uh, that was in 2014 again. Um, in, in all of those instances, uh, his uh, evidence was just was he, was he, or his concerns were were ignored. Mm. So once again, what happened with him? After two years, he, he had a pang of conscience. He just couldn't stand it anymore. So he again blew the whistle to the ABC. Now re- people will remember that um, uh, the ABC published the Afghan files. Mm-hmm. There was. A police raid on the ABC offices right. in, yeah. in Harris Street yes. in Ultimo, yes. where they seized uh, the computers and, and, and records of the of journalists. What, what the, then happened? Um, McBride was charged with uh, disclosing information to journalists in 2016, including unauthorized disclosure of information, theft of Commonwealth property because he'd taken, I guess, documents to prove his case and three counts of breaching the Defence Act. Now, um, he, uh, before he was uh, uh, charged, uh, he left, he was trying to leave Australia, he decided to go and live in Spain. 
mm-hmm. and uh, he was arrested at the airport as he was trying to to leave the the, the country, and uh, it's been going on ever since. And the hearing's been delayed again and again. Once again, uh, he suffered uh, a lot of mental anguish. Yes, uh, his marriage has broken down. Yeah, uh, it's been a, a fairly dreadful time for him. Mm. But he also wanted to rely on the Public Interest Disclosure Act, mm. and and um, his defence to that uh, Public Interest Disclosure Act was was that he had followed the appropriate procedures mm-hmm. that had been ignored, mm-hmm. so then he was entitled to go public. And what happened, mm-hmm. this is only uh, a, a week or so ago, what happened is it was set down for a hearing before a judge, mm-hmm. like Boyle's case, mm-hmm. to decide whether it was a valid defence. Mm-hmm. Because if it was a valid defence, he wouldn't. the charges wouldn't be able yes. to proceed. Yeah. Um, but what the Commonwealth Director of Public Prosecutions did on the day the hearing was to start mm-hmm. was they brought an application claiming public interest immunity, which is saying that documents that would come out in the court case as to whether or not there was an immunity were, were sensitive, sensitive uh, and secret documents. They'd read what was... I guess what they'd done is they'd read what was in... Um, McBride's and his witnesses' affidavits and mm-hmm. said that can't come out because if it comes out, that will damage the Commonwealth. So they've now barred him from arguing a defence even under the Public Interest uh, Disclosure Act. Right. And, and McBride has now, I understand his lawyers have been forced to withdraw that defence, so now he's just got to go to trial. That's now, that's just that, that is a real That's disgraceful. That's, well, and it sends a terrible message. And McBride, well, that's the problem. That, yeah. That's the problem. It, send, yeah. it, it sends a terrible... Anyone who th- is even thinking of blowing the message yeah. of the whistle... Don't. ...that's being You'll sent that message, that yeah. if they to do, no matter how noble, how yes. honourable yes. it is... Uh, will come after you yes. and you'll go to jail. You know, when, they, when, the, when the Commonwealth Director of Public Prosecutions made this application uh, last week, um, a lot of people were up in arms about it. And I think you to, to, to go back, if the Attorney-General was really serious, we just can't have to go back and see what he actually said on the floor of the Parliament mm-hmm. when he introduced in his second reading speech, mm-hmm. where he, he acknowledged the need for separate reforms the Public Interest Defence Act. Yes. Well, he, he acknowledges yes. that it needs reform. Yes, now, and yet... Um, it's got to be improved. It's got to have better protection. So if that's not a justification for the Commonwealth Director of Public Prosecutions withdrawing the case, I just don't know what is. Wouldn't McBride be covered under the the, the public... What is it? Public Interest Prosecution where, um, you know, their contract... A person's contract couldn't be... Um, cancelled, there would be no criminal proceedings. I mean, there are all these safeguards, right, that, that, yes. that had been agreed to. Well, what we've got is we've got, we've, got two compete, we've got two competing statutes, mm. um, the Public Interest Disclosure Act, right. which allows um, uh, an unfolding cascade of, of things to defend, to de- defend an action by, mm-hmm. but then in order to prove you come within the, the Public Interest Defence Act, You've got to put evidence before the court. Right. And that the evidence that he wants to bring to the court that they say uh, endangers national security and therefore it can't be put to the court. Right. It's not in the national interest. But if you go back to the case 
involving Bernard Collieri, they made the same application, the Commonwealth Director of Public Prosecutions made the same application in Collieri's case, in, in, uh, yeah, in Collieri's case, and that did go before a judge, as to, and it was, the application was that all of the hearing was to be in secret. Mm -hmm. um, and that went before the judge, and the judge weighed it up and said, I accept the Commonwealth's argument uh. at, 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 at law. Well, there, there, I mean, there may be other uh, positive aspects of it, but the whistleblower aspect is, is certainly dangerous. Yes. And in terms of the national security legislation, Australia has the most draconian cluster of national security legislation in, in the, in in the, the world. democratic world. Yes, really. Uh, it's far, we do. far worse yes. than yeah, Britain absolutely. or any other country. How Years ago, I started collecting after Howard... Uh, after 9-11, they started bringing in mm. yeah. different bits of uh, legislation. Mm. And I started collecting all the bits and pieces of the legislation. And I was going mm. to write a paper on it. And I mm. ended up having... Um, uh, I collected four A4 photocopy paper boxes full of bits of legislation and so on. And I just mm. I just gave up. Mm. In the mm. end, I, I just got lost there. But the, the mm. powers of the security mm. um, organisations... Yeah, uh, yeah. To eavesdrop, to listen, and to uh, detain, uh, to detain and question, yes. and punish you if you don't. You just go to jail if you don't question. Yes. It's, Without it's draconian. Well, in in the UK, I mean, the the, the, the rights are tumbling, getting knocked down everywhere. Mm. In the UK, for for a decade at least now, they had a thing had a thing called an ASBO. It's called an anti-social behaviour order. Um, and if somebody complains about somebody's conduct, um, a, a court can make this antisocial behaviour order, uh, and and they use it to target young teenagers, um, somebody who might go in and raise a ruckus at the at the local library, and and it completely uh, restricts what people's rights are once the order is made. And the other provision they've got more recently in the UK is in relation to. Uh, demonstrations. Yeah. If you are if you are uh, uh, found uh, within a particular period at two separate demonstrations, then you you'll get a two year ban on attending any further demonstrations in that two years. Because year you're period. not allowed. And also a ban on going to particular places and so on. Because you're not it's you're not allowed to go to two two demonstrations in the one day. 